Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 8, Issue 387, DJ Hero and DJ Hero 2. So you get a double whammy for your money this week. As always, you can play along with the show. Uh, our fo- next following five issues are the Galaxian series, the Donkey Kong Country trilogy, Final Fantasy XIII, The Evil Within, and Batman Arkham Origins. So as always, you can check out the podcasts, articles, uh, other information, and the forums all at caneandrince.com. We also have our other podcasts in the stable. So we have Sound of Play, the music podcast, hosted by either Ryan or Leon, and that's on Wednesdays. We also have the fantastic Play Right with Ryan and Ryan. And we have the Sausage Factory from the fantastic Chris O'Regan, and that's a Friday release. With that out of the way, joining me, your host, Cal Moon, in this issue, are Rich Davison. Hello. And Gary Blower. Hello. Long time no see, Gary. Great to have you back on the show. No problem. You're welcome. I think when it had to be DJ Hero, uh, it had to be you on this episode, really, didn't it? That's very kind. So um, I've known Gary for a lot of years, and we've had several decision, uh, discussions on DJ Hero, so it was kind of a no-brainer that he was going to be on this issue as a guest. Um, so yeah, it's it's great news that he's on. So this is DJ Hero and DJ Hero 2. Uh, we'll start off talking about the first game, developed by Freestyle Games, uh, also covered by Exeunt Entertainment, which covered the PS2 and the Wii versions. So published by Activision, uh, following on from their you know, stable of other music games of that era with Rock Band, Guitar Hero, etc. We also had multiple or a multitude of artists joining for this franchise. So we had DJ Shadow, Zed Trip, DJ AM, Grandmaster Flash, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Daft Punk and Benny Benassi. We'll excuse you if you don't know any of those artists, but they did give a likeness for Avatars, um, they did interact in some cases with the team uh, and offered their own remixes of certain tracks. Uh, definitely gave the game an air of authenticity. I think it's fair to say that that was definitely the approach from Activision and Freestyle Games when they tried to do it. And probably quite shockingly, when I put the notes together, I didn't realise that it was actually 10 years in October 2009 since this game released across all four formats. It doesn't seem like it's a 10 years old game in my mind. Um, that's pretty incredible, and it was a huge surprise to me. So it was released on PlayStation 2, the Wii, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. It reviewed rather positively, um, it's fair to say. It received quite high scores across a multitude of well-known outlets. Uh, hands down, the best award it probably won was from GameSpot for the most surprisingly good game award of 2009, uh, which made me chuckle, but it does have an IMDb user rating of 7.7, which is considerably lower than the Metacritic, which ranges between an 8.4 for the Xbox 360 version and an 8.7 for the PS2 version. The Wii version also scored relatively high. So in terms of sales, it's sort of a mixed bag, really, in terms of what you read. So prior to DJ Hero's release, the games industry analysts had projected the title would sell 1.6 million units in its first fiscal quarter. However, after disappointing sales performances of Guitar Hero 5 and the Beatles' rock band in the month prior to DJ Hero's release, analysis had lowered that expectation to less than half at 600,000 units. 
So group figures for the month of October reported only 123,000 units of the game were sold in the US. That's more than 50,000 less than expected. So Ars Technica, in considering the game a flop in its present market due to a number of attributes um, and failures due to the following factors. So quite uh, famously, the uh, the game was non, not a social game, which was following on from the rock band careers of four people round a game. Uh, it was geared towards single player. The cost was seen as prohibitive in the current market. The mixes in the game were relatively unknown. Now, that doesn't mean that the songs were unknown. There weren't as a lot of well-known songs, but the mixes themselves were, for the most part, original to DJ Hero. Uh, and a lack of familiarity around a turntable compared to, say, a guitar, drums and microphone. So it definitely had different challenges to the other music peripheral games of that period. Um, however, by June 2010, the game had actually sold 1.2 million units with Dan Amarich, which, you know, quite a comical name for Activision. Um, it commented on the long tail of sales that made it look like it was initially a failure, but should actually be considered a success now. Now, across all four formats, checking VG charts, which is generally a rough estimate, shows just under 3 million at 2.99 million total sales for DJ Hero 1. So it's actually gone on to be relatively successful over a period of time. So with some feedback from the forum, we have Kintaris who said, I went to a games convention recently and someone brought DJ Hero and it was the largest non-competitive spectacle at the event. DJ Hero was an interesting idea that simply came a little too late. The gameplay was fun, though I have no idea how 2009 me was any good at it. The music combinations were creative and the turntable peripheral was perfect for the game, but the novelty of non-standard controllers was gone at this point. Had this come out during the 6th gen alongside the Dance Dance Revolution pads and bongo controllers, it might have stood a chance. I hope we get to see another shot at the DJ Hero franchise one day because it was one of the most unique takes on the rhythm genre since the first Guitar Hero, and it didn't deserve to die before it even got the chance to be refined. So. Onto our histories. Rich, how about yourself? How did you come to DJ Hero? Was it, you know, was it a launch day? Which version was it? You know, what format was it? What's sure. So I've uh, I picked it up on the PS3 and it wasn't on launch day and it was almost like an opportunity thing for me because I think I was traveling past a game and it must have been at the point when the sales perhaps weren't quite what they imagined because I think I got my copy of DJ Hero 1 and the standard deck. I guess, for around about £25, which seemed pretty good at the time. I had my eye on the, the game beforehand because I was a, a sort of moderate fan of um, Guitar Hero with pretty middling skills. I think I could get up to expert, but I wasn't particularly very competent at it. And um, some of the artists that are in DJ Hero seemed to appeal to me because I'm a, a quite a big Daft Punk fan. So it was something that was always on the cards, but something that I didn't particularly want to go out on, on day one. And in fact, I've actually bought two copies of the original D DJ Hero and uh, DJ Hero 2. Uh, the first was to to make some money for, for traveling and also to get rid of a defective uh, base unit for the DJ deck because the slider had no uh, middle function, if you like. It, it didn't click into the middle area. So I picked up a second copy sometime in 2012 to replace that. Yeah. Excellent. How about yourself, Gary? Well, kind of similar, really. Um, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed the plastic peripheral um, rhythm action games, you know, the Guitar Hero and uh, Rock Band kind of before it. But the, the thing that the, about those really was that, uh, although I've got 
a reasonably eclectic taste in music. My real roots lie in uh, electronic music and uh, dance. Um, to the point that, you know, when I was 17, 18, I, I had a set of decks and I was useless. But uh, I did used to muck around and do mixes and things. So it was right up my street, really. And um, so I did pick up the original DJ Hero at launch. Uh, and again, I didn't go for the, the folk may remember when it first launched, there was two packs. There was kind of one with just one DJ um turntable in it and then there was actually one that had two which was astronomically expensive and I, there was some sort of licensing deal i can't remember who is with now and you could even get one with a little table uh, there was like a third one where you got the two turntables and little table thing so i just went for the one and then when i realized how much i liked it and how much fun it was to play with other people i then picked up a second one uh, one of many turntables that i ended up owning which we'll possibly get to later <laughs> but um the initial ones were on the 360 um and um you know i likewise i was drawn to the soundtrack obviously daft punk big draw for me anyway uh much the same and it was an interesting thing they were doing with it i remember watching um i think it was an interview with GameSpot when they first announced it and they were kind of describing what it was going to be like and it was genuinely it did actually seem genuinely creative as well as being a rhythm action game you could kind of improv bits of it and i'm sure we'll get to that but that that also kind of piqued my interest because the whole thing about DJing is that you you kind of make it up as you go along yeah absolutely um I'm a little bit like yourself there Gary my my background in terms of my preference of music was dance and trance and um I was very au fait with a lot of the artists and DJs attributed to it um particularly DJ Shadow um who'd been a huge influence on me in that period of time and the music that I was listening to um and you know it goes without saying Daft Punk one of my favourite all-time music albums uh, was their album in 2001, Discovery, uh, which is right up there as an all-time. So the the idea that we had a game with them included meant that I really wanted to play it. However, I didn't pick it up at launch, which is a little unusual for me on this podcast to actually say that because I opted to pick up the Beatles rock band in the previous month, and that was relatively very expensive. <laughs> um, and that was so... DJ Hero had to wait. I couldn't splash out with £200 on um, the Beatles rock band and then 100 plus on uh, DJ Hero. So it went on my Christmas list, a real hopeful um, deal, and didn't really expect much of it. And I've always been spoiled, even into my adult years, by my parents uh, at, at Christmas. And I remember sitting in the living room with them and they were talking to each other and it was Christmas Eve and you could kind of see there was a a real nervousness about them and I, obviously I didn't know why. Then there's a knock on the door at about five o'clock in the evening and my dad shuffles out, tells me to stay in the living room and that's that. And it turns out that that was my Christmas box, uh, which was DJ Hero and it arrived on Christmas Eve and they'd actually bought me the Renegade edition, um, which was a spectacularly large box that featured a hard case to carry the decks and the game, and it featured some legs, so you could take the legs out and attach them uh, to the bottom of the case, which created a stand for you to stand up and actually use the decks, um, which is a relatively ideal way um, to, to you know play the game. There's obviously a reason that professional DJs you know stand at decks. It works. Uh, and it kind of added to that authenticity. So it wasn't a launch game, but it was a huge Christmas game. And I remember ripping the paper off and being really excited. 
not really wanting to open the rest of my presents, running upstairs and, and playing it for hours with, you know, my family members uh, who'd come around at Christmas, kind of seeing if I was, you know, still alive, why I wasn't down eating snacks and Christmas lunch and stuff as I was blitzing my way through um, DJ Hero and having the time of my life. So I think it's important we've all mentioned the decks there. Um, conceptually, it's a lot like what you'd expect, having seen DJF, having seen the likes of Guitar Hero or Rock Band. It lends itself to a little bit of the authenticity of the real instrument, but not going the whole way, um, I think it's safe to say. It's obviously heavily influenced by Konami's Beatmania. Uh, I, don't, I think we'd be incredibly naive to claim that this was an all-new, unique, original concept. Um, it features a deck wheel on the right-hand side for mixing with three buttons on it. Um, it features a crossfader on the left and a tuner to, you know, uh, impact the sound. Um, a little bit like the arcade machine, that featured five buttons and the wheel. Um, the placement is a little different, but the core concepts are somewhat similar in terms of making you feel like you're actually DJing live to the music. Um, it is built around the concepts of bringing in the crossfader and the tuner, and I think that's probably where the bigger differences lie from the uh, Beatmania game. It wasn't without its controversy uh, when it launched. It wasn't the only DJ game in a sort of development. So on April 15th, 2009, the publishers of Scratch, the ultimate DJ, Genius Products and Newmark sued against Scratch's developer, Seven Studios and Activision. The lawsuit contends that Activision purchased Seven Studios to both gain access to proprietary technology and to delay publication of the game so DJ Hero could come out first. The Los Angeles Superior Court, in which the suit filed, did not grant the requested restraining order against Activision on DJ Hero. Activision states that Scratch was already delayed by as early as October 2008. Before they made contact with Seven Studios and their acquisition of the developers did not impede them from comp completing Scratch. However, on April 20th, the court reversed its decision, awarding Genius and Newmark a temporary restraining order and ordered the immediate return of all of the material of, from Seven Studios from Activision, including all source code related to Scratch. Seven Studios subsequently filed a countersuit against Genius Products, claiming that they engaged in unlawful and unsavoury business practices that limited Seven Studios from completing the game as planned. So that's not very nice to sort of read. Um, you know, we, we obviously don't know the actual thing, but that's the, the lawsuit decision there. Um, I think it's fair to say that they were very much aware of a rival game when developing uh, DJ Hero and were obviously had the momentum with the likes of Guitar Hero and Rock Band behind them, which were a huge feature. So as we've mentioned, the core concept around the decks is around giving the user the authenticity or the feeling of being a live DJ, like their heroes, the aforementioned at the start of the show. And I think much like Rock Band and Guitar Hero, it certainly latches onto that, I think it would be fair to say. Is that correct? Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, probably a little bit early to go into this, but I suppose it's contingent around what level you're playing on or the difficulty that you're playing on because 
very early on playing it easy mode is quite a sort of sterile uh, experience and you're doing very little but as you sort of ramp up the difficulty and you sort of have that sort of mechanical feedback with the music it's quite easy to get into that sensation and obviously you've got the euphoria button at the same point which kind of gives you some uh, intangible connectivity with the uh, virtual crowd if you like yeah. I know I again can't really disagree I think the me- mechanically it certainly is a good facsimile you know because essentially you're you know with, with the real McCoy you're actually sort of trying to manipulate you know the turntable and twiddle knobs all at the same time which is essentially what is mechanically is what you do with this game although you know that it uses the the same highway um, mechanic that came across from Guitar Hero. They kind of, I think they did a fantastic job actually, of sort of integrating those two things, sort of taking the the core gameplay conceit from those rhythm action games that have been around for years, and then actually making it work with a with a deck. I mean, do we know with the Scratch game, with that was that something similar in terms of how, mechanically how it worked? So the idea was that it was going to come with a deck, right? Accessory. So there was there was definitely an influence there. Um, it was certainly going to be a rival product at the very least. It's interesting because I mean there have been other DJ ish games over the years. You know, uh, even in I'm trying to think, it was now 2010, 2011. There's quite a good one you can get for sort of um, on iOS, which you know does something similar but not quite the same. And and there's been ones earlier than that where you could sort of mix things together. I can't remember the names of them. I remember years ago there used to be a um, public domain game on the Amiga that you could actually take two tracks and mix them together dynamically, although there was less of a kind of gameplay element, so it wasn't really like a scoring aspect to it. But, you know, so the, I think it's a bit rich to sort of say, okay, you, you know, um, there was another game coming out around the same time, but I guess if they both have peripherals, I can see why now. But, um, but yeah, I think it does capture it. And uh, and you get you get that sort of, um, you know, the way they do the visuals, you know, the, it's kind of the same thing they do with Star Hero, where you can see you know, your avatar on stage and the crowd going wild and it's all linked in to the things you do. It, it really does sell it. And uh, I find people like watching me play um, DJ Hero more than they do, say, Guitar Hero, which, unless you're playing it, doesn't really seem that interesting. Yeah, and I think one of the things that separates it, you know, you mentioned there that it it, it utilises the same highway mechanic as a, as a Guitar Hero game. Um it had the rival game with Scratch there, but this was developed by Freestyle Games, and it felt like a really authentic product to that studio. This is a studio that released the game B-Boy on the PSP, um, which revolved around hip-hop breakdancing culture, and there's definitely that musical flavour follows through into both the DJ Hero games um, in terms of the importance of the music and the beat. Um, you know, when when you're thinking of b-boy music, you're thinking of the likes of Run DMC and you know that ilk, and we we do have that that element of music across these games, and it did feel like the ideal developer for for this title. And you know, we'd be naive to say that this wasn't coming at a period of time where there did seem to be an element of gamers becoming jaded at the plastic peripheral. You know, there was there was a relatively high cost. Um, certainly the circle of friends that, you know, I would associate with and play games with had a large array of plastic peripheral guitars, um, rock band drums around and um, potentially an element of negativity or here's another one, we need to buy another peripheral, that that kind of feature set. 
But I, and I I did have the same fears. It was what if this game didn't feel the way that I imagined that it could, and it was probably within five minutes of playing the game. You know, those those fears were certainly removed, and it felt like this is this was the ideal developer for this game. It, it felt like they really understood what that element that what that music and culture was about and that really did sell the game for me as i was playing it yeah and i think just as a sort of feeding narrative as well you could use the the guitar in some of the songs in dj heroes so they've clearly thought about how to sort of cross-pollinate some of the the licenses there in activision so um yeah it's interesting to see where that went as well i know you've mentioned it already uh rich in terms of one of the key features in how this game plays and how it responds in terms of how you play it is the difficulty that you play it on. Um, as with Guitar Hero, it, it's quite simplistic. Guitar Hero would start with the three keys, then the four, and it would move on. This game sticks with the three buttons, the the red, the green, and the blue, um, which align with the highway up the track. Uh, you get the ability to... Uh, mix whilst holding those buttons you get the ability to freestyle and you have the fader and they are you know visible on every track regardless of difficulty where this game does start to feel at least for me in terms of the direction of guitar hero is that guitar hero became increasingly more difficult with the introduction of the fifth key the fifth button to press uh, for four fingers you only ever have the three buttons in this game. So all of the tools are always in your control and always the same buttons that you've been interacting with. So the scale of um, difficulty increase, at least for myself, felt a lot more natural and non-alienating. So I felt like there was a clear definitive improvement in terms of my score at the end of Songs and Succeeding whilst it felt like I was doing the same things, just becoming more precise with my movements. Yeah, so th- I think that's um, that's like an interesting thing because I, I kind of feel like I had a very different um, journey. I think the, the jump from medium difficulty to hard and expert felt very difficult for me, just purely based around the fact that you need to have more specific direction with your scratches. There's a lot more cross-fading over at the same point. And... Um, I think it's mitigated somewhat by the fact you can't actually fail these songs. So when you aren't performing accurately, as you would be in Guitar Hero, it would cease. In DJ Hero, it'll just carry on, it'll persist and allow you to go through there. But um, I sense that the the issue that I have with it is probably less to do with the game and, and more to do with my own mechanical um, ability with um, the, the DJ sort of deck, as it were. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't think it helps with some elements of the deck design either but they do i mean to be fair on the higher difficulties they do do the guitar hero thing of forcing you to take your hand off or or reposition your hand constantly you know because the fifth button on the on the guitar games you know it's it's all about sort of moving your hand up and down and flexing your fingers whichever technique you want to use and essentially you have to do the same things so on those higher difficulties as well as using the crossfader with your left hand, you also have got the uh, the effect style um, and also the euphoria button, which they're positioned in such a way that you do kind of have to <laughs> remove your hand yeah. and then get it back again. Yeah. And one of the weaknesses with the kit, which was mentioned earlier, is that on the fader, which you move left to right to fade in the two tracks that are being mixed, there's like a little notch in the middle so you can kind of feel where the center is. And as yeah. those turntables are used, 
that notch gets weaker and weaker and weaker and then eventually it gets to the point where you can't actually feel where the middle is so you end up starting to fail some of the cross crossovers and crossfades because you can't look down you're doing everything through feel and you're reliant on the device actually to give you that that uh, you know tactical feedback yeah but you don't always get it which then makes those you know the harder difficulties that much harder because then you're you're having to sort of know where your hand is rather than feel where it is and I think the natural placement is absolutely key in terms of there's uh, a suitable spacing between the three buttons on the on the actual deck on the turntable. You know, you can keep your hand there. It does, you know, you've mentioned that you take your hand off. You'd often move your left hand between the uh, crossfader over to the FX dial, uh, potentially pressing the euphoria button. And I've, I think, you know, you mentioned that people like watching you play the game. It's a similar approach. I enjoy watching other people play the game because it almost looks really authentic when you see the left hand reaching across the right hand to turn the dial before quickly moving back. And, you know, it the, the tracks do get more frantic, I think, in terms of your actions. You need to start mixing in certain directions in terms of the feedback. But the buttons that you're pressing, they never change from whichever your difficulty, you know, you don't, you don't, suddenly start interacting with a new feature you just interact with that feature more and more quickly yeah um and i think that that allows for a really natural growth in terms of uh, the more that you play it the the you know you know it it sounds ridiculous to say that the more that you play it the better you get because that would be equal for everything but that those tools have always been in your control and it becomes about being more precise yeah it's interesting to hear this because for me the natural way that I found playing this game was to actually invert the 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 three uh input buttons on the turntable so that instead of being on the left of the turntable yeah. they're on the right and then naturally I ended up using my left hand a little bit more to hit the euphoria button and then the um the uh the other switch knob thing that uh, changes some of the the uh sound bites as it were and some of the the effects at the same point yeah that that is interesting. So I, I'm right-handed, but I played it with the left hand in, you mm. know. So um, the buttons to to give anyone a description who doesn't quite know the controller, you do have the turnstile with three buttons on it. Um, by default, it's seen that those three buttons would be on the left-hand side of the turn t- turntable, but on the right hand, and that's how I would play it. Which meant that my right wrist was somewhat at an angle back across myself. Yeah. Um, my very good friend who would who also picked up the game uh, shortly after me also right-handed did exactly what you did rich and had to play it inverted with those three buttons flipped the opposite way around but on the right-hand side of the decks yeah. so that his right wrist would stay straight yeah and and the reality behind this was i think what i found difficult was to try and emulate a scratching motion only by pressing the buttons was quite uncomfortable and ergonomically not uh, not at all pleasant and so what i had to try and find was a way to sort of um mount my hand over the turntable if you like and hold the side so that you can move it in a much more mechanical yeah. way yeah well you, you even on a on a real deck you, you do it with your thumb so you know it's your thumb that rests around the edge which is why it's got that knobbly bit on it because mm. uh, you tend to move the turntable there rather than your fingers on the top so I think in that respect, that's the you know you, as long as you can get it comfortable, it doesn't really matter which side. But it's it's the fact what you're doing is spreading your hands, so you've got your thumb is actually doing most of the work for you. Um, but you know I I think that aspect of it works. Like I said, the the, the downside to me is just that slight build quality issue over the you know the the slide the, the crossfader. 
Um, but I, I, the one thing I want to kind of say about this game over and above the Guitar Hero ones is that there's always a criticism with the Guitar Hero ones, particularly by people who play guitars, and they say, you know, it's nothing like the real thing, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's a fake and facsimile. This actually, you know, having had a real one, albeit 20-odd years ago, it does actually feel just like the real thing. You know, it it didn't, it you know, for someone who plays a guitar and, you know, I can see them getting quite frustrated with the strum bar and just five buttons, but that DJ deck did actually feel like just a little tiny version of, of what I used to muck around with. Obviously, there's more bells and whistles and more buttons on it, but essentially the things that you were doing were exactly the same. And you also still got that same sense of um, real satisfaction when you pull off, you know, a great series of moves in it, or even when on some of those freestyle sections, if you can get it when you, the sections on the highway where you can actually improvise and it will score mm. you on it as well. So you can actually fade between the two tracks and try and fade in lyrics and sounds, you know, at key points and on certain, um, you know, within the rhythm of the of the track itself. Um if you nail those sections, it feels fantastic, and it doesn't actually feel exactly like it used to be when I used to muck around uh, with a deck. So, you know, I, I think it, in that respect, it kind of trumps the others. I think the only one that comes close to it is the drum set mm. um, with Rock Band, because obviously yeah. drums are drums at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I, I quite like I mean, I'm not sure really if this is a partially formed thought, but there's almost a sense that you're affecting the music that you're playing as opposed to being a passenger of the music yes. that you would have in, in Guitar Hero. So when you're adjusting the, um, I couldn't possibly tell you what the actual effect is, but when you're adjusting some of the the effects there or switching the lanes and you're kind of creating a, a sort of very bespoke experience that you wouldn't necessarily get in a Guitar Hero and a rock band. No, I think that's absolutely uh, key. Uh, definitely how I felt about the music is that I was the one controlling it, as opposed to if I made a mistake in Guitar Hero and the music cuts out and it doesn't, you you have that disconnection from the game for a brief second. Now it does have a muted effect, but because there's two tracks playing, it would mean that you essentially get the feedback from one track, and then you can bring it back in. Quite and it, the the nature of bringing it back in almost feels like an action yourself that you've done that, um, and it, it gives this effect that you are actually the DJ and you are manipulating these songs how you want. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think the euphoria button does a lot for that for me as well, and maybe it's just a very sort of facile observation, but when the sort of um, music kind of hits a crescendo and culminates and you hit the euphoria button, it's a real sense of feedback at what you're doing at the same point. It's good stuff. Okay, so I think it's important to mention in terms of the impact that certain tools uh, that the decks provide offer. So we've mentioned the three buttons. These are your standard um, tap to the beat buttons that you would see in pretty much every music game. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly the things that you would hit. Uh, You have taps and holds. Uh, Nothing necessarily unusual there. You have the crossfader. So as we mentioned, when you are playing, there's always two beats playing at the same time, a left-hand side track and a right-hand side track. Um, The crossfader is necessary in terms of hitting certain lines. So with the beats going up the highway, you also have vertical lines that may go left to right. So the idea is that you would slide the slider to the left to play it when it goes off to the left. 
to the right when it goes off to the right. Um, and there are freestyle sections where you get to control that and fade in the either the left track or the right track as necessary. And that feels really, really natural. Then you also have the FX tuner, tuner which allows you to sort of alter the uh, the frequency of the note or the track being played, again, uh, offering a sense of manipulation. Um, and then you also have the ability to score by rewinding, by spinning the, the, the turnstile 360 degrees or 720 degrees for a longer rewind, which is very useful for your score building, particularly if you hit a large uh, series of difficult notes, rewind it and hit them again. You can score really quite highly with that, and that brings in that sort of high scoring game element to it um freestyle where you get to manipulate the music in any which way that you want as gary's already mentioned you will get scored on that and it's kind of a lot of fun that you may want to bring in the vocal track for a bit and you get to kind of unleash your own uh sort of tiesto guetta you know dj shadow element of bringing the, the music in and, and it kind of also means that every time you play that track it can feel a little bit different particularly those with large freestyle sections and then you also get the euphoria button which um when you hit a certain amount of uh, a combo of notes you get the ability to unleash uh, euphoria which you know you've you've made it perfectly clear yourself rich that you're a big fan of um would you like to describe your why you like the euphoria so I, much? I don't actually know what it is i think it just sort of like it creates a sort of uh, um, maybe it just increases the volume or it, it sort of makes a flash I, I think this is a sort of very primal thing that just kicks off in my brain when it goes on perhaps somebody else with a bit more um astuteness can kind of point as to what it <laughs> does but it just makes me feel really good i guess it, it, euphoric some would say yeah, yeah. a well-titled feature gary Oh, no, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> the, I, I, I'm not sure what it is. I, I really think it all it does is just sort of sort of makes the the music slightly more clear, yeah. slightly more loud. So there's just that sense of something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just a primal driver that you almost become one with the music. Um, and it it's for anyone who's seen that the 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 club scene of the you know the the mid nineties when it was at its peak and it was all about hitting that beat and, and sort of making yourself feel one with that music, um, it kind of drives that audio feedback mm. that you are in control of the crowd and you are manipulating everything and, you know, you're the best DJ in the entire planet. And it does, it gives you that, particularly when everything is flowing beautifully and it drives that music through to you, it, you know, it, it it did give me... You know, my hairs would stand up on end yeah. and it would give me, you know, like goosebumps and so a very simple feature, but it felt incredible it, to play. It also helps that it takes over the crossfading for you as well. So if you get yeah. to a bit well, where yeah. there's <laughs> a load of mental crossfading, which sounds awesome anyway, you hit the euphoria button at that point and it's just even better. You know, it, it, you know it's a cliche, but it turns it all up to 11. You know, it it does what it said. I mean, the fact that it flashes red to sort of tell you, hey, you know, it's time to go. Uh, but there is, yeah. you know, like with all these games, there is that risk reward element where you kind of hang on to see whether you, when when to fire it, and you're trying to fire it when you're going to get your maximum multiplier. But invariably, the best time to fire it is when you get to the real big crescendo, crescendo within the mix. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and it can absolutely drive you through some sections. Yeah, um, especially, I'm thinking tracks like Noisia, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. for example, uh, where the Euphoria button becomes absolutely essential in terms of of meeting that the 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 crossfade left to right which is very aggressively quick um 
of course, when you do hit that naturally, it feels incredible. Um, but as Gary's already alluded to, there is a almost a, a quality issue with a lot of decks that it does lose the little notch when you're feeling it, and kind of when that goes, it doesn't quite feel the same, and you know that euphoria becomes even more essential. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple of observations. I think with the three buttons, the uh, sort of pressing the the left hand button will denote uh, an effect upon the left track, and the right button on the right track, so the they hit the respective track. Um, yeah, just wanted to make that known. Yes, I think I think that's absolutely key. Um, and I think the the middle button generally relates to vocals um, or an audio pop in terms of what would be a vocal track over both, um, which again it, if you miss those notes you don't get the the music back it doesn't necessarily always sound great but the flip side of that is when you get into a freestyle section you feel like that really gives you the control to impact the the vocal track over the top mm. um so we've already mentioned there with the uh, the 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 vertical highway of music notes that you've seen in uh, the likes of guitar hero the art design the graphics the animation the presentation definitely doesn't deviate too far from what we'd begun to see with where rock uh, rock band and guitar hero had gone in terms of a sort of animated cartoonish style um on the xbox 360 it brought in the ability to use your 3d avatars for example um, everything was a little bit characterized the colors were bright and funky um it was definitely very pleasing it 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 didn't necessarily give the visual approach that I would have expected from a DJ Hero game where I would have expected it to be maybe a little bit grittier or a little bit dirtier. Um, but I also think that the flip side of that is that it keeps the graphics fresher for longer and I'm actually really grateful now, moving years on, that it actually continued that style, which, you know, it it, it offers a, a more friendly approach visually. Yeah, I, I think it's really good and I think it still holds up to this day. I think I, I put it on uh, a little bit earlier today and I think the uh, almost um, sort of, spur- I, I'm not really sure what the right word is, I guess, the um, like ADD style cutting in and out of uh, scenes and, and sort of camera angles makes it sort of fresh. The only thing that I do have a problem with, however, is that the um, character animation doesn't quite match up to what's going on in the deck. And that sounds like it's sort of a little bit of pedantry, and I suppose to some extent it is, but it just sort of like rips you out a little bit when you're in the, the mood and, and watching it go on. I don't know how they could have possibly done it any other way, though, to be fair. I've never noticed that the interaction on the decks isn't accurate in terms of the avatar interacting with them, but I have noticed at times that they can be seen to be jumping around on stage, which isn't to the beat of the music. Yeah. Um, and that that is a little bit bizarre. It doesn't feel quite right, but it's also something that is consistent with the other um, music games in terms of rock yeah. band. We also had the same thing where it was almost like a canned animation and it didn't feel like it was dynamically hitting the beats. But... I think it's also safe to say that for the vast majority of the songs, particularly if you play medium and above generally hard, you don't really have a whole lot of time being able to look into the background. And it's kind of one of those things that's really appealing when you're watching someone else play. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, without trying to digress too far, I do actually quite like some of the artwork on the menus and and the the opening sections as well. It's pretty good. We've got this far, and I think the one thing we've not really talked about, and which is really key and essential here for DJ Hero, would be the music. 
Um, so it goes without saying, we've mentioned some of the DJs that do feature. They offer their likenesses in terms of a characterized avatar that you can sort of speak to um, and watch behind the decks for certain tracks. Uh, it actually launched with 93 tracks, which is really quite a lot. However, a lot of those tracks are, you know, left side and right side. So you would be interacting with two tracks at the same time. I think myself personally, I would say that DJ Hero 1 has a really strong track list in terms of choices and styles of music that you would want to play um, and a really diverse list of DJs and the, you know, the audio experience that they bring with them. How did you guys feel about the music that was in DJ Hero? Uh, I think for me it was it was actually a bit of a mixed bag. I think uh, we'll talk about DJ Hero Two shortly, um, but um, I think the thing that I was surprised by was the and we mentioned it earlier. They they tried to shoehorn in um, sort of Guitar Hero tracks, which had already featured in those games, so that they could also because you could also play with a DJ, um, one person doing the um, being the DJ with the turntable, one person with a guitar. Yeah. Mm. And that kind of felt a bit shoehorned in, and, and although they did a pretty, pretty amazing job, really, of taking some of those Guitar Hero songs and then doing reasonably good mixes with them, they did feel a bit jarring compared to everything else that was in there. There was also, I think they were also slaves to some of the licensing they did, so um, yeah. I'm trying yeah, to I think agree. who it was. You might remember who, who the... Um, Oh, I can't remember who it was now. It was either Fifty Cent or someone like that. There was there was some big thing they kept pushing when the game first came out about it featuring that artist. And I think they only had like two or three mixes in it, and none of them were very good. Yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this is kind of endemic throughout because there's there's a lot of Gwen Stefani. There's a lot of yeah. uh, Daft Punk, specifically from um, Human After All, the album. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think a couple more. I can't quite remember what it was. Some gorillas, maybe. Why not? Yes, there's oh, there's loads Jay Z. Yeah. That's who it was. That's the one oh, where there's, yeah. there's there's like four Jay Z tracks in it, and they were all pretty awful, really. That that is kind of noticeable when you see um, three different uh, versions of Gwen Stefani's uh, bananas. I can't remember what it's called, and that's just sort of Hollaback all over Girl. the place. Yeah. Oh goodness me, yeah, that's it. But what they've done a real good job of, I think, is bringing in some disco from the seventies and sort of Definitely. splicing them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big fan of that. We've mentioned there that Daft Punk play a huge part in this game, and I knew that they were featuring when I picked it up or when I was, you know, when I asked for it and I got it for Christmas. But I'd intentionally steered away from watching anything on YouTube, anything online about the music that was in it. I kind of wanted to experience it for the first time. And there's a moment as you're playing it where it becomes a Daft Punk mega mix almost of multiple tracks in a row, and it becomes a real feature set in the game. And I was personally blown away by it. It felt in the strangest way, and I don't feel this way about many video games, I genuinely felt rather emotional about it because I'm a huge Daft Punk fan, and to have so many variations of their tracks interacting with other ones, like Robot Rock uh, mixed with Queen's We Will Rock You, for example, um, obviously the mega mix of their own tracks um, was pretty great. Uh, Technologic with Gary Newman's Cars. And it just felt like they'd really respected Daft Punk as an artist and they'd sort of gone to town and really give this approach and you've got them behind the decks 
uh, with the, the masks on and the text going across. And it's sort of a five to ten minute period in the middle of the game, and I was absolutely blown away where I just wanted to experience that again and again. Um, and that, that for me, was the standout moment in the whole game, which is full of a lot of tracks that I really like, but the Daft Punk moment did seem to sort of excel I think it it was just so well implemented and it, it was it almost only gave you the ability to play those tracks when you'd learned the ability to be able to honor the tracks yourself in terms of your skill set it doesn't throw it at you straight away you've obviously improved by this point how did you guys feel about Daft Punk in terms of um the feature set because they've got the most amount of tracks in the game I well I, th- I think it's pretty clear that the uh, freestyle games the the trump card for them was having Daft Punk in it anyway and I think a lot of the other licensing around the edge was you know uh, I would suggest was probably in there just to give it a broad appeal but that's not really where their true heart is because I mean if you think you know Daft Punk are and even even in 2009 were probably at their peak actually in 2009 um yeah. you know huge and are a perfect match for the type of game they're trying to make you know um as well as creating their own stuff they've they've done remixes they do djing you know it's all it all kind of fits into the model when they do and then having of course you know been able to license their personas within the game and um feature around it i think if i get the impression if the developers had the choice <laughs> the game would have been you know the box would have just had Daft Punk all over it because it's quite clear that, you know, like you said, you unlock that. It's like a, a, a treat, a reward for getting that far through the empire mode, whatever it's called. Um, uh, and it, and, and yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, all three of us love Daft Punk. So, I mean, that is, you know, it was the highlight for me as well. Um, definitely. And, and those, those mega mixes are fantastic. That's for sure. Yeah, I have, really are. yeah, I have, I do have those, um, floating around on my, my music device of choice because uh you know they're, they're quite fun to sort of uh stick into a playlist every now and then oh here we go so i am uh not a fan of the daft punk mixes on here and i think while they are competent they don't speak to me and it, it seems a bit senseless um digging them out for what is purely a subjective thing but i think there's a sort of uh, a sort of purity in the the mixes that daft punk did in the original albums that they don't quite emulate here and it seems almost like um, they're spoiling them a little bit by introducing some of the songs. But what I will say is that some of my favourite songs in this uh, track are the songs that have no mixes over. So if you think about Herbie Hancock, there's almost yeah. a purity in his... Um, I never thought I'd say the sentence. There's a purity in, in his um, track um, that shows just the sort of competency and the skill that's involved in, in some of the mixes that, that he has there. As it is with Daft Punk... I mean, it, it it is really good. I just guess that it comes quickly and, and shortly after a live where they did their own set in Coachella, and uh, I think that trumps it for me. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the mega mixes I like rather than the ones yeah. that, where they're mixed with another track. Yeah, they don't yeah. always work. I think the I think the Queen We Will Rock You one kind of works. It does work, yeah, yeah, it yeah. does. But it it just seems bizarre to me that they've chosen songs from um the at the time most contemporary album, yeah. Human After All, and then one or two from um the original one, Homework, and, and nothing from as Carl quite mentioned, yeah. I've already mentioned before. Discovery. You wonder if 
if that was a condition of the license agreement, because they Quite. artists tend to do that, don't they? So yes, you can have our tracks, but they've got to come from our most recent album. Yeah, yeah. Well, they themselves, I'm sure, are sampled, so I wonder to what extent they they are kind of are inhibited by that. Certainly, some of the tracks from Discovery. Okay, so we've already mentioned that there are some tracks that are a solo track. The Herbie Hancock is a, a perfect example. But the basis of the game is about blending uh, two tracks together. There are probably some quite surprising mixes. Um, 50 Cent mixed with David Bowie, for example. Uh, it might not be something that you would necessarily expect to hear. Um, maybe, you know, Black Eyed Peas mixed with Benny Benassi uh, is, again, quite an unusual combination. What are your guys' favourite mixes that, that you've experienced and that you enjoy to play? Because one of the things that I've found is that tracks that I wouldn't necessarily enjoy listening to on their own might be more along my favourites to actually play in terms of the interaction between blending the two tracks when it comes to using the turntable. I think this one will be easier for me with DJ Hero 2 uh, when we get onto <laughs> that, because that's the one I played by far the most of, of the two. Um, and in fact, I spent... I put it on for an hour on uh, Sunday and it ended up being four hours. So it, <laughs> it shows you. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't actually gone back to the original DJ Hero. I don't think since DJ Hero 2 came out um, because I, I just think they absolutely nailed the soundtrack with the second one. But Yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting because I think um, the, the, the sound or the, the soundtrack from DJ Hero 1's probably a little bit more timeless. You can probably sense how tentative I am about speaking about this because music's so subjective. Um, but I think uh, in the original D DJ Hero, I feel overall it's a bit more kind of appealing, but there's uh, certainly single tracks from DJ Hero 2 that um, appeal to me a little bit more. Okay. So nothing there that's particularly stand out. Well, we we mentioned a few already. Um, I think um, th there was the the Blondie Atomic one, and I can't remember who it was mixed with. That was that was good. The uh, Gorillas Feel Good Ink. Yeah, that, that sounds like it. Uh, there was also there were a couple of disco ones, weren't there? there was Disco Inferno, and I'm trying to think the other one was now. Oh, I think it was Isaac Hayes, The Shaft. That was. That, but then yeah. I like I like both of those anyway, so I would like mixes of them. So yeah, uh, and also I'm I'm trying not to go on record as enjoying a Gwen Stefani song either. So uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah I, I'll keep that one under my hat. I don't mind a little bit of Gwen Stefani, even. <laughs> yeah, um, I tell you what was a letdown though was that I'm a big um, Paul Van Dyke fan, and I thought the Paul Van Dyke track in the original DJ Harry wasn't very good. It was was a wasn't one of his best, and the mix I don't remember it being that memorable. But I remember being disappointed with that one. No, I, I absolutely agree. As obviously a, a huge Paul Van Dyke fan myself, it mm. felt that it didn't quite. I mean, there's a whole host of great Paul Van Dyke tracks that you could oh, God, mix yeah. <laughs> and give a really great feeling to, and it just fell a little bit flat. Yeah, um, that was really really disappointing. Um, I feel a little bit away, uh, the same way about the Tiesto track as well. Mm -hmm. um, the Benny Benassi satisfaction with Tiesto's Elements of Life. Mm -hmm. um, a huge Tiesto fan, and I feel like they could have done a lot more with it. And obviously, as we'll get on to, they actually included him a little bit more in the in the sequel. Um, but in terms of standout tracks for myself, uh, there's quite a few in there outside of the Daft Punk um, offerings in there. So Belbiv DeVos Poison mixed with Cameo's Word Up. Um I find that a lot of fun to play because it's 
the very heavy notes mix with the crossfader and it it kind of it's all about hitting that beat over and over again and that that track really offers that um foreigners jukebox hero mixed with dj hero to become a uh, dj like a dj hero in terms of the track sounds absolutely fantastic um in terms of it and i actually prefer that track to either of the originals there which make of that what you will there's probably a lot of people hating me for that um and you know yeah. For all for all the hell and wear and tear on the decks that it's ever given me, Noisia's Groundhog, really enjoy playing it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I guess if I'm going to go on record, I would say, um, uh, goodness me, Rihanna versus the Tramps, so Disco uh-huh. Inferno and Disturbia. Yes. Not because I enjoy it, but it seems to work very well. And similarly, Tears for Fears um, versus Eric Prid's Shout. Yeah. Yes. That's a great one just to sort of get a sense of how it's to a use brilliant the, track. the Euphoria button. Oh, and finally, Bittersweet Symphony and LL Cool J. So, yeah, the Verve and LL Cool J. Who'd have thought? It's really good. Yes. So th- these are the ones that maybe you wouldn't have expected to hear in terms of a mix and that actually come out sounding really, really well. And there are a few times that, you know, it introduces the track and you go, oh, this could be terrible. And then you come out with it going, that was fantastic. Like, I really want to play the track again. And it does have that ability of that, you know, one more play, you want to play that track again before you want to play the next one that it leads into in the set. And I think that's always the sign of um, when a, a rhythm game really gets me is when I don't actually want to continue. I want to go back and do what I've just done again. So another piece of feedback regarding DJ Hero from Dusk versus Tweak on the forum who states, DJ Hero never got past the in-store demo for me, whereas I picked up Guitar Hero as soon as I tried it for a few minutes. DJ Hero was a bit harder for me to wrap my head around. I thought it looked cool, for sure, and it was right up my rhythm game tastes. But I was in college and my money and time were limited, and, well, I just never walked out of the store with a copy. The music, however, I did take to. That mashup of Grapevine and Feel Good Inc. is one I still play on the radio. It has so much energy, I love it. The Foo Fighters, Beastie Boys mix, the Rihanna Killers mix, there's so many great pieces of music in the game that it does make me regret never having given out the game a proper spin. Maybe I should start keeping an eye out for one. I think that's definitely fair. Um, You know, if you can find a copy of the game anywhere with working decks, then it's definitely, you know, give it a spin if you like that music. Because... For all that music is great to listen to, for me it's actually better to play. And another piece from Simon Sloth, again on the forum. Rhythm action games, and particularly the plastic peripheral based ones, live or die based on their music. It sounds obvious, but this is why it's taken me a decade to even try DJ Hero. During the glory days where every game shop was filled with guitars, drum kits, keytars, and a myriad of seemingly pointless peripherals, my musical tastes were far too narrow and I was too stubborn to entertain a DJ hero game. I was a rock band or guitar hero man, and the only Yoda I was interested in was in a galaxy far, far away. Now I've grown up, to an extent, and my tastes and mind have broadened. I like what I like, irrespective of its genre. This applies to pretty much everything. So I snapped up a second-hand copy of DJ Hero and its sequel with the peripheral for £10 on eBay. Crazy enough, I had to order three before I found a working one, as most of the sellers had left their old batteries in them, which had leaked. This shows how much a whirlwind fad the wave of plastic peripherals was that owners dumped them in the loft with little care for their longevity. 
Overall, I had a blast. Most of the songs aren't to my tastes, and some of the mixes butchered the songs I did like by placing them alongside some ill-advised choice. However, the actual mechanics, particularly in the second game, are stellar. There is a definite feeling that each time you played a track, the freestyle sections allowed freedom to express my inner DJ. Along the way, I realised the game was better played standing up, posturing like a real craftsman of the art and removing the plastic piece on the slider so that you moved the small metal piece of metal instead. I found it gave you more control and feedback with a satisfying clunk when switched side to side. I got into a one-sided score battle with another forum member on my PSN friends lists, which gave me a challenge beyond the usual obtain five stars target. It led to some sweaty moments with Colin Alonso turning into my unofficial nemesis. I suppose this brings me on to my main point, which is that all these types of games are incredibly social and there is something quite lonely about the way that I consume DJ Hero. I stood often on my own or with my wife telling me I look like an idiot working my way through a mix. However, I suspect you put me in a face-off Guitar Hero vs DJ battle or even add vocal accompaniment to the game, that would be far more fun and exciting. As it was, I enjoyed it. I don't think I'll play it again for some time, but I had removed the batteries in any case, in case I do want to. I suspect at this point, a chunk of podcast listeners will be digging out their old controllers, checking they did the same. Oh, wow. Well, that was a sort of beautiful melancholy about that one. I think I can certainly reciprocate that. Good. Simon's mentioned there around DJ Hero 2, and I think now would be an ideal time to get onto it. Uh, and Gary, yourself, you've already mentioned that you, you, you're a, a fan of the soundtrack there on the second game. So much like the first game, developed again by Freestyle Games, uh, this was a huge positive to me that, that actually maintained the same developer um, going through. They actually took care of all the versions this time. Um, there was no Exeunt Entertainment to take over a, a Wii version of it, again, published by Activision. This time they'd brought in some new artists um, to feature, so David Guetta, Deadmouse, DJ Cubert, Tiesto and Rizza had, had joined some potentially more well-known names there, I think. Uh, certainly uh, names that you would expect to see in the charts with the likes of David Guetta and Deadmouse. Released exactly a year later in October 2010. Uh, no PS2 version this time, but it did come out on PlayStation 3, Wii and Xbox 360. Again, the game reviewed very, very well. Um, you know, it has a user review scale of 7.8 from 32 reviews. That's a 0.1 more than the first. Uh, Metacritic, again, in the, the, the high eights, so an 8.6 for the 360 up to an 8.8 .8 on the Wii and PS3. Um, so much like the first game, scored very highly on Metacritic. Uh, sales, however, for DJ Hero 2 were low, failing to reach similar numbers as DJ Hero from the previous year. In conjunction with poor sales from Guitar Hero franchise, Activision announced the cancellation of further development in February 2011, leaving DJ Hero 2 as the final multi-platform iteration of the DJ Hero franchise. However, nine years on, according to Video Game Charts, it does stand north of 2 million copies across all three formats. So it didn't make the 3 million copies that we see for the first game, but it's still north of two. So our history is with the sequel. Rich, how about um, you? Yeah, there's there's really not a great deal to say. I think I quite liked, um, obviously, I quite liked the original uh, DJ Hero, and I think it was just a sort of um, 
a foregone conclusion that I was going to pick up DJ Hero 2. Uh, I believe I didn't pick it up on, on day one. Uh, I picked it up as a package with uh, DJ Hero 2. Uh, yeah, DJ Hero the first one and DJ Hero two and a new set of decks when um, when I went back and and repurchased them sometime around about two thousand and eleven. Yeah, so so nothing too interesting, but um, yeah, definitely picked it up. Gary, uh, so again, I was day one on the, this one because I you know enjoyed the previous one so much, um, but for all the same reasons we talked about earlier. And this is where we get into the slightly murky water of how many turntables I now have, because <laughs> I've got, <laughs> I mentioned to the guys pre-show, I've actually got seven turntables, and just to try and explain how I ended up with that number, I had two for the original DJ Hero, then for DJ Hero 2 I bought, uh, one of my decks was, went, was broken, because the slider thing went, so I bought another two, because um, you could buy a double pack. Uh, when DJ Hero 2 came out, so I got the double pack. Uh, that was on the 360. Then a couple of years later, I essentially retired my 360 and mainly played on the PS- PS3, so I picked up a really cheap, again, brand new copy of DJ Hero 2 with two PlayStation 3 decks, because of course this is the time when these damn controller things would only work with one console. Um, so that was another two. Uh, and then, uh, and I think your correspondent later talks about this, uh, a couple of years ago, it was about three, maybe four years ago, Tesco were basically having a massive fire sale of lots of old games. And I picked up a copy of DJ Hero 2 on the Wii for the princely sum of about five quid. Um, and that, for me, was a no-brainer, because by this time, my PS3 and Xbox 360 had been packed away, effectively. But I still had a Wii U kicking about. And of course, you know, being a Wii game, you can still play it on the Wii U. Um, so it meant I've actually been able to enjoy DJ Hero 2 for many, many years <laughs> across three different platforms and seven different uh, turntables. And the interesting thing about the Wii one is the turntable is bigger, seems slightly more robust, and doesn't have the problem with battery leaking because, of course, you stick the, the um, Wiimote inside it uh, instead of uh, sticking batteries into it. So in some ways it's a little bit more robust, although it's a little bit larger, so slightly less convenient. But uh, And I actually fired up that one and the PS3 on Sunday. I ended up playing the PS3 one more, but, um, you know, it works quite well on that as well. So it was actually, um, but anyway, that's why I've ended up with seven, although I think I may, in my cupboard, I've only actually got five. I think one's in the loft, and I think the other one I might have binned, I can't remember now, but Possibly at one point... Is, there's I, only room for five of them in the cupboard. There uh, is only room for sizable. five of them. Yeah, well, that cupboard has got um, a lot of plastic uh, detritus in there. It's got uh, old turntables. It's got some old... It's got several fight sticks, you know, those kind of big ones. There's all sorts of stuff in there. It's a bit of a... Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, cupboard under the stairs type thing you don't want to go into too often, but... I know where they are, and I can get them when I need them. That's important. So it's not got to the point where you're using turntables as placemats at a table? Oh, now. no. No, not at all. <laughs> like a lazy Susan. <laughs> <laughs> so myself, unlike the first game, I did have to get DJ Hero 2 at launch. I already had the turntable, so I was able to just buy a copy of the game. Uh, it was day one for me. I remember ripping off the cellophane and jumping straight in. I was so excited. I already had my decks on the uh, Renegade Edition stand, ready, 
Um, the room was clean to give me some room so I could sort of really authentically DJ. Obviously, no one was getting to watch me um, as I was in my moment. Uh, and yeah, I, I was I wasn't as won over by the track listing. I think it would be fair to say, but it was a game that I really wanted to support. Um, I'd sort of moved away from the need to play any of the other um, music games. This DJ Hero was the one that had really won me over, so I had to have that sequel. Um, I did almost pick up a second copy uh, and decks on the PS3 because I was starting to play the PS3 quite a lot at the time. Um, unfortunately, my local Tesco did not have the fire sale on. <laughs> they didn't have copies of it. I've always wanted to pick up more. Um, decks just in case the worst could happen. Now, ironically, as I was saying to the guys prior to this recording, I don't actually know where my deck's gone. It very strangely, so that's a little bit worrying. Um, so I hadn't been able to play it prior to this, but I'd played it about a year ago, and uh, I really, really wanted to play it prior to this recording. Um, so yeah, a little bit different with the sequel. Uh, we'd had more songs, so it had gone up from 93 to 105. Uh, it had 80 unique mixes, uh, plus additional DLC that was released for this game. Um, you know, it's something that we had seen for Rock Band in, you know, for quite a while, so they the released some DLC for DJ Hero 2 now. Um, the players could challenge any of these mixes at any time in quick play mode, progress through them in single player, uh, empire mode, or co cooperatively or competitively with a second user in offline or online game modes. And a third player could also participate through singing the mixed vocals with a microphone. What were the big differences for you guys between DJ Hero 1 and DJ Hero 2 then as you actually picked up and started to play the sequel? Essentially, it's, I mean, it's essentially the same game with more tracks. I think the presentation's slightly cleaner. I know you, uh, you guys said you liked it in the first one. I quite like the kind of... I'm a bit of a sucker for monotone um, uh, <laughs> presentation anyway. but um, it's uh I, I like the way that kind of pops off the screen and and the kind of the sort of very clean look to it i thought the the way they structured empire mode was slightly better so the kind of single player mode is slightly different um it's got this new the new party mode is basically how i play it every time or the um where you, or, sorry quick play mode isn't it not party mode uh yeah. where you can just basically put together a track list uh then randomize it and then just play a set and I, that's what how I really like to play it. And one of the kind of quality of life features of uh, certainly DJ Hero 2, I can't remember if it was in the first one, but you can actually favourite your tracks. So you can actually go through and favourite, I think it's 20 of them. I can't remember the exact number now. Um, so if when you want to do your set list, you can kind of pick from, you know, maybe four or five from your favourites and then maybe pick a couple of others that you haven't played for a while. And I like that aspect of it as well, because it means that if I want to have a quick, a quick, you know, go on it although the other day was longer than that um then you know you can be up and running and playing super quick do your set have your fun and then put it away again and um that's pretty much how i've used it for the past whatever it is now seven or eight years um so i, I think that aspect of it was improved they, they just made it that much quicker to sort of um get into if you see what i mean i think the only downside today if you try and play it is that, of course, um, all the DLC and all the online connectivity is now dead. And so you get stuck on various menus that's trying to connect to the original servers, which is a bit of a bind. But um, So if you did pick it up today, if you managed to get a copy on eBay or something, be prepared for that because it's infuriating. 
other than that, it it just seems a more immediate game to get into. I think. I think they kind of streamline aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah, I I do like that actually. The idea of getting in and out as quickly as possible before anybody really notices, which sort of says a lot about my feelings and and certainly my wife's feelings about this game. Yeah. Um. I find it very difficult to disaggregate DJ Hero 1 from DJ Hero 2 other than their general aesthetics. And I think Gary's done a really elegant job of describing the difference between the two. Um, One thing that I think is quite evident in DJ Hero 2 is the amount of licensing in terms of the... uh, the hardware that they've clearly brought in. Yeah. So you've got the the likes of Beats from Dr. Dre and um, a couple of other DJ decks that I'm not particularly familiar with, but they're front and center when you go and uh, edit your character and such. And I think there's just in general, like a different sort of sense of um, time and, and a sense of place as to where I was when DJ Hero 2 came out. A lot of the songs are very uh, contemporaneous of 2011 or so. So I can really picture where I was and, and what I was listening to at the time, yeah. As Gary's already mentioned, there were a few tweaks to the interface. Uh, things felt a little bit sharper, a little bit nippier to get through the menus. Obviously, you know, servers being down aside now. Um, but for me, the biggest quality of life uh, tweaks were those that you got when playing. So the ability to do quick scratches in a direction, so uh, a series of quick downs um, to a beat was a lot sharper in the sequel. It would pick them up um, a, lo- a lot cleaner, which was a problem with the first game. Um, so it just all in all, in terms of the mechanics, so the decks would stay the same, but they felt a lot tighter in the sequel. Um, a lot, not as harsh, so you wouldn't necessarily lose your, your multiplier as you were going through, and, and that was really subtle. It definitely felt, however that there was a shift in terms of tone of music in the game. Quite right. So it did bring in a series of, uh, I I think there was definitely a stronger R&B element in in the sequel. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And similarly, a lot more progressive house music as well. And and almost like a sort of change of... I'm really not equipped to kind of describe this, I'm sorry, but almost like a change in what we understand a sort of contemporary DJ to do. So there's less scratching and more songs to do with fading and triggering different effects and more euphoria and DJ Hero 2. Gary, no, you got anything to say? No, I just, I, you kind of summed it up there, really. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's definitely a lot more cross-fading. There's more... Yeah, uh contemporary DJing I guess as opposed to the sort of hip hop DJing that was there was a lot more of that in the original DJ hero um and there's there's actually a lot more tracks that aren't mixes so uh, I think around about a quarter maybe even more especially the DLC I've got some DLC and it's I can't remember which stuff's DLC and which stuff isn't actually to be honest but a lot there's a lot of uh there's there's a good sort of yeah I yeah I'd say a quarter to a third that are just a single artist and then they split the actual um what would have been the original 24 or 36 tracks into the two so you can actually remix that artist's song rather than mixing two songs together um and that in itself is kind of cool because you can kind of mess around with how they're structured especially with the freestyle bits you know and again it's the thing that makes these games fun i think but there is less i would say there's probably less originality and creativity in terms of what they've done with the mixes in this one this is much more of a regular um you know hey here's a load of songs that you probably well you might like you can now play them in DJ hero whereas before it was you know let's let's do some really crazy mashups and make them work um 
But I think for my own personal enjoyment, you know, repeated play enjoyment, as opposed to sort of, oh, yeah, that was kind of neat, you know, finding things that I really like, then having that sort of blend certainly helps, which is why I tend to go back to this one, because there are, you know, half a dozen um, tracks in this which I liked anyway, even though they weren't in DJ Hero, and being able to play with them and mess with them and enjoy them in another way um, really helps... um, and, you know, some of it gives away my age because some of those songs are from, you know, I'm in my mid-40s and some of those songs were, you know, when I was about 16. So, you know, some of those things are, are kind of uh, special to me anyway. So, you know, being able to play those is that added sort of bonus. But uh, I did try, when I fired it up on Sunday, I did try to find the DLC stuff. But again, I couldn't find it cause it's been pulled. So I know I have some because I I can tell that some of those songs are uh, extra because there's an odd number. But I don't know which ones they were. I think one of the big differences, and, and Gary, you've just alluded to it there, was that there was a definite increase in the number of just solo songs that you could play. And I think in the instance where you would play a lot of those songs on their own, it was a really strong listing. So they were the tracks that I generally like to play in the sequel, whereas the thing that I loved about the first game was the originality and the novelty of some really... um unusual mixes that worked out really well um and you know i'm i'm 35 now and there's certain tracks in there that definitely remind me of my youth a lot like they do for yourself um adamski's killer for example um classic track from the first music cd that uh was ever brought into the house when i was a child um so that there was always a bit of novelty around that uh we've obviously we've seen dead mouse come into it so the dead mouse and cascade mix of i remember is probably the biggest earworm for me across definitely. both those games definitely yeah, yeah, that I one agree. gets played a lot <laughs> yeah um a great track to play as well but it's one that you know this this is a game that as we record this next month will be 9 years old and that song still gets stuck in my head a lot so that probably shows you how often i played it We've got Axel F from Harold Faltermeyer. Um, in terms of my age, it was the LP on vinyl that I played the most on my parents' uh, stereo on, on their hi-fi. Uh, did actually Jeez. once try to DJ that track. Um, probably didn't do the needle or the uh, no. vinyl much good. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded horrific. Who would have thought that it wasn't the equipment to actually be a DJ? But it was great to see it. Obviously, Edwin Starr's War, an absolute classic. Um, definitely a really strong listing uh, in terms of variety, but it, as I mentioned, a lean into what was a lot more popular in terms of the charts at that time. So we did see the likes of uh, more Rihanna songs come in. We've got Sean Paul in there, um, Lil Wayne, uh, Flo Rider. So we did see that strong release in terms of uh, an uh, R&B music and I would say for me it's probably a, a 50-50 between really strong and actually ones that I didn't actually care if I played again which I never really felt that way about any of the songs in, in DJ Hero 1 which is maybe why I'm a little bit more fond of the tracks in DJ Hero 1 is that I'll happily play all of them and there's some that I'll actually avoid yeah. But as Gary's already mentioned, you know, the quality of life fixes for favourites kind of allows you to get around that very quickly by um, allowing you to put the game on, boot up, put the tracks you want into a playlist, randomise it and play. And that is just a, a, 
a really simple addition to the game that made it a lot of fun. How about yourselves? Is there any tracks there that were particular standout tracks in the sequel? Well, you've mentioned a few already. Uh, I'm just looking. I've actually found another list now. I'm just looking down it. So there's the Robin S one I really like, and that is one I used to actually mess around with on my deck, which is quite funny. Um, the Show Me Love track. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about the Dead Mouse ones. Both of those are really good, actually. There's also a DLC one, so I think I've got three Dead Mouse tracks on mine. Yeah, there is a DLC. So that Dead must Mouse have been track. one of the DLC and, and he ones. Was, he was sort of the big featured artist that seemed to... Uh, be quite prominent in it where Daft Punk were in the first. You know, we we do have Dead Mouse with his uh, mouse helmet on and his and his stage. We also have uh, Tiesto, who was probably my favourite DJ growing up, with his round decks in the middle of his arena, which I thought was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm not proud of this. I uh, quite like American Boy by Estelle featuring Kanye West. I think that's uh, a massive earworm and it's quite pleasant to play. It's, it's not too difficult. So you can bang the difficulty up and then show everybody exactly what you can do. The There's, there's no getting around it. The, the Dead Mouse and Cascada um, songs seem to kind of fit neatly in and they sort of culminate and sort of reach a nice crescendo. So when you're playing them, you know, you feel quite... Uh, competent and, and quite clever when you're doing those as well at the same point it's just a shame that uh, i don't think anybody in a, else in my house enjoys that song <laughs> the um also i've got all the time in the world for uh war by edwin Starr and superstition by stevie wonder i think i could listen to that quite happily outside of uh playing this game any others in particular gary Sorry. um i'm trying to look through the list here i'm trying to remember the ones i've got in my 20 that I normally uh, normally pick. Um, there's, I was going to say there's the Crystal Method one, but I remember that not being that great. Um, I think a lot of the ones I've got actually are DLC, which I've now found a list. Yeah, because there is a really good Paul Van Dyke one I've got on my DJ Hero 2 on the PS3. Uh, and I'm just looking here. That was DLC. It's Paul Van Dyke and ATB. Um, 9pm to oh, come. Yes. Um, that's I, I did pick that one up. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It, that's really good. Uh, I've also got yeah. So there was another Dead Mouse, as you said. There was also, and I've also got that. What was the other one I saw here a minute ago as well? Uh, there was. I mentioned the Crystal Method, didn't I? No, there. I can't remember them all, but yeah. Okay. Well, since we've done the loving, I think there's some absolute stingers in this Go list as well, and some that actually yeah. really kind of almost aggravate me by how poorly they use some of the songs. So um, I forget which song it's mixed with, but um, Yoda's Blue Monday, it just never seems to kind of hit the actual heights of the original version. And uh, A Fifth of Beethoven, I don't know how anybody could make that song sound crap, but uh, they've managed to find a way to do it. I love that song, uh, ironically, of course. Yeah, I, uh, the Basement Jacks mix is I I really don't like. Um, it's what we've got here: Basement Jacks and featuring the yeah yeah yeahs, of course. I mean, how do you mess that up? Oh uh, yeah, and yeah. it is it, yeah. it's really jarring. It really doesn't work. But yeah, of course. Yeah, it's uh, so that's yeah yeah yeahs. Heads will roll with Basement Jacks. Where your head at? Which in terms of uh, name works. Yep. In terms of actually playing it. Not it's so really... well, which is weird because where, Where's Your Head At by Basement Jacks is the kind of track that should be perfect for a DJ yep. Hero game. Yeah, it's really disjointed. And Heads Will Roll is so catchy. Yeah, 
Yeah. There's some clever kind of wordplay on that as well, I'm sure. Um, final for me is uh, D-Light, Groovers in the Heart, featuring oh, yeah. Le Freak by Chic. It just doesn't work, I'm afraid. Yeah. Is there anything you guys want to particularly talk about before we go into the last bit of feedback and the no, three-word review? I think, uh, no, I'm afraid, no. Yeah, I think you covered it. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's, <laughs> it's a TJ hero game, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if there was any new mechanics. So something that springs to mind is there was the there was a, a very kind of I'm, I don't know the terminology, but when you are sort of using the the slider, you could almost like very quickly move it left and right to sort of like I don't know what it did, sort of scratch in there. And here we go because I never actually reached the dizzy and heights of hard mode. I think this game was incredibly difficult once you moved between. Um, medium difficulty and hard difficulty and there was no way to sort of create a gradient between medium and hard in the same way there was with Guitar Hero. So unfortunately I looked very uh, lame trying to, to play anything in hard and, and missed a lot of the things that are there. I think that's probably the only thing. There was uh, some of the freestyle things are done slightly subtly differently but other than that, um, so for example, the red button in the in the middle no longer is controlled by the effects button, so it's oh, yes, it's actually course, yeah. set per track, depending on the track yeah. actually. Um, so that was kind of different. They kind of did away with with that. That was a bit naff the way it. Yeah, kind of... and and there was no voice samples as well that you yeah. could put in. Yeah, there's no oh yes dictated by the oh yeah yeah, and, yeah boys yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah boy. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, oh, a, lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun was had with that uh, obnoxiously uh, remixing tracks. But I think you know you've mentioned there in terms of the differences. It's as good as the 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 controller and the decks were. It did almost limit what was possible with the sequels. I think it was probably fair. So you'd, they'd already created an environment that was really fun to play. But in terms of what they could mechanically do in the sequels. You were still restricted to having the mixer, the tuner, um, and the obviously the turntable itself. I don't think that it was a problem, but I think that the changes that they they did make were for the benefit. So taking the voice samples away and, and playing with the, the the sound in a different manner in terms of what the red button did um, was definitely it. It felt a little bit more professional. I think it. You know, you wouldn't get away with the over repeated. You know, multiple tapping of yeah boys throughout a track, um, which whilst it made me laugh, did not sound good. Um, DJ Hero Two definitely gave a more authentic uh, DJ experience in terms of what you would expect to hear mm-hmm. in terms of professionalism. So, with that, another piece of feedback from Colin Alonso on the forum. Uh, so, this is the same Colin Alonso who uh, proved to be. Uh, Simon Sloth's rival in a point score on our forums. He said, 2009 really felt like the last time instrument-based rhythm games were in the mainstream. The hype around these types of games had died down and they probably weren't selling as well as they had. This explains how I bought DJ Hero with the controller from Tesco in 2014 for five euros as they were clearing gold stock. They had about 10 of them. The game was fun and some of the tracks were really good. I also bought a cheap copy of the second game. I didn't enjoy the music as much as it focused more on hip-hop and R&B hits of the time. I quit it after about an hour and put both games and the deck away. I brought the decks back out recently before the podcast and played through both games. It's still fun, but there isn't enough to keep me interested. The first is still my favourite, however, 
that is based mostly on my musical tastes. So with that, we have uh, two three-word reviews that were given to us on Cain and Rinse. We do put these out on Twitter before every recording with the hashtag CRTWR. Um, and we do, you know, try to include as many as we possibly can for the recordings. So as always, listen out for the, uh, the call on uh, our Twitter feed uh, and you could be featured in as part of our feedback. So with these, Gary, would you like to start? The Tej said, revolutionary game controller. Very good, yes, yes, indeed. So the Heavy Metaru says, Divisive DJing Device. Also, kudos on the pronunciation there, Rich. Oh, I thank did you appreciate very much. that. Yeah, yeah. Added, added a little bit extra. Just lean into that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to add that. So in summaries, um, Rich, would you like to go first? Yeah, so I'm pleased you picked me first because I think I'm probably going to be the most disparaging. But I think uh, I wouldn't be on the show if I didn't think that DJ Hero was a great game. And I think it's a real shame that it kind of burned bright and faded quickly away. Um, it's obviously got a very clear vision. It's incredibly well presented throughout. And even in 2019, 10 years, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but 10 years after it was originally introduced, it's, uh, it's exceptional. It looks great. The gameplay is uh, immediate and it feels intuitive now, even after maybe for me about 10 years of, well, pardon me, about eight years of, of being away from playing on it. But I don't think the game is, is faultless. I think for me, um, it's not really crafted to sort of train you up in the same way that Rock Band and Guitar Hero were. And because of that, I never was able to, to meet the expectations of going all the way to expert. And I found it a very middling experience where I was in the, the medium difficulty to hard mode and never really managed to get beyond that. I would say that the controller is quite robust, but it's not particularly very comfortable to play. And uh, in truth, it requires a lot of some swift movements that I just don't think I'm really capable of doing. I don't seem to have that manual dexterity. So um, I blame that a lot for my uh, lack of um, progression in the game. And perhaps that kind of added to why I never played it in the long run. But I've went back to over the last couple of days and I've really noticed how it isn't very ergonomic. And in fact, today when I was playing for about 30 minutes, I came away from it and my hand was absolutely crippled, really sore. Trying to think about how I would play DJ Hero in the future. Um, might be good to bring DJ Hero 1 out at the parties. I think if my uh, friends could get over the groans of having to bring some quite antiquated tech out, a lot of the songs there are quite timeless and, and people might get a kick out of it. DJ Hero 2 might not hit that same part, even though I personally like the music a bit more because it seems to be more of the time. And there's a bit of a, a sort of black hole there because a lot of myself and my friends were having kids at that time. So we don't seem to have that sense of um, sort of wider culture that was going on at that moment in time. I'd like to see it get some kind of revival, I guess. I'm not really sure how we could do it these days. Perhaps put some RPG elements in to make it a bit more Moorish and um, really lean more heavily into that kind of a journey that you might get on something like rock bands. I suppose really the, the place that I'd really like to see it is somewhere like an arcade, like where you see those um, Guitar Hero machines. Um, although I don't think anybody would really like to see a very sort of middling uh, performance there. But it'd be quite nice to see somebody witness me getting a nice big yeah boy out inappropriately partway through the, the songs. It might make me laugh. For me, I absolutely adore the DJ Hero games. I think in terms of the music or the rhythm action genre, the plastic peripheral genre, whatever you want to call it, they are the two titles that resonated absolutely the most with me. They're the ones that made me feel most like a badass when I was playing. 
Um, they're the ones that made me smile the widest. And they were always the ones that, whilst I didn't want to play with my friends, I wanted to show my friends. Um, and it does feel a little sad that this game came in 2009 where there was... There was a negative atmosphere surrounding Activision and the consistent music uh, genre games that were, you know, being put out. The the multitude of guitar heroes, and it's sad because we'd actually started to see some really good ones. You know, Beatles Rock Band um, had come out not long before uh, we'd actually got to um, DJ Hero, and for me, they are the two set ones that stand out above all the others: DJ Hero and um, Rock Band, The Beatles. And with that, it just felt like that was such a shame because people may have really bought into this earlier on um, and it's not always going to be the easiest thing to find, especially if you are only into wanting new peripherals and not necessarily secondhand ones off eBay. That said, the music of the first game, as Rich has, Rich has already alluded to, is quite timeless hits and I still listen to that soundtrack quite regularly now. Um, the mixes are rather wonderful and they feel fantastic to play and it really does hold up it, it, it's a novel deck peripheral that you get to play on it's not always the most comfortable it does require a lot of dexterity and coordination but when you actually nail the moments it feels quite unlike any of the other uh, games for me personally um, it's the one that's given me the biggest rush and Whilst the drums were a lot of fun on Rock Band, this was just one tier beyond that where it just felt incredible to play. The sequel feels a lot more polished in terms of its navigation, in terms of how much cleaner it feels to hit the notes accurately when they are um, rapid, shorter notes to hit. It does have hits of the time of 2010, as well as some... Uh, older classic hits but there is a period around the 90s where it does seem to miss some of the tracks that I would have expected to see there and it doesn't necessarily blend the mixes in the way that I enjoyed of the first that said it is or if you see it as an accompaniment to the first game it really does give a really wide range of music that you can play and I, I just wish that they'd released a package where you could get all the songs in one package and be able to play them all through you know, I'd absolutely love to see DJ Hero come back as a as a franchise. I'd, for me, I'd happily pick up another set of decks and play it on the generation that we have, maybe with a, a few tweaks that would make them maybe a little bit more robust, maybe a little bit more ergonomic to use. But there is the authenticity there in terms of the peripheral that it, you actually feel like you're at some decks. You don't necessarily feel like you're twiddling with a plastic guitar or, or whacking some drums that don't actually look like a real drum set it 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 does have that authenticity and and for me it wins me over because i'm staring at the screen and i'm feeling the controllers with my hands and it it does have a great tactile feedback so it feels like i'm actually interacting with a real tool to play those songs and and i am in control of that music and for me that is just such a wonderfully pure experience that i absolutely adore dj hero 1 and 2 and for anyone who actually has the hardware um, being a, a 360, a PS3 or a Wii to be able to pick up both of those games. I cannot recommend enough trying to go back and play them because they are wonderful experiences that still even thinking about them today make me smile and the music, as I say, I still do listen to regularly. 
And finally, with that, our guest, Gary. Well, you've not left me much more to say on this kind of, the kind of actual games themselves. But what I will say is that um, they they enabled me to relive a moment of my youth where I used to write electronic music and I had a set of decks and I used to muck around with stuff and I realised I had absolutely zero talent. But however, I had a lot of fun doing it. And um, the fact that that uh, sort of moment of my life could be almost recreated in video game form in 2010 or in 2009, 2010, 2011, that period was for me just so cool. And um, I know that's, you know, uh, a simplistic thing to say, but ultimately these games just make me feel cool. I just love the feeling of playing them essentially. Now, um, as for the future, the future is kind of already here because I, I don't think the future is actually with um, with DJ games having plastic peripherals and, and doing all that sort of thing. And in fact, speaking of kind of redundant plastic peripherals that will live in, in a box or in a cupboard, the this genre really has moved into VR and um, there are a number of fantastic um, VR games which can give you the same sense of feeling uh, that DJ Hero certainly gives me, but they tend to do so in a form, far more abstract way. Uh, and two that I would point people towards if they haven't tried them and if you've got a PSVR uh, are obviously Beat Saber, which I think a lot of people know about. Um, and another one called Electronauts, which actually allows you to create music with this kind of um, virtual set of decks which you can manipulate and do. So it's not actually a game per se. Um, it's it's a lot more abstract than that. But it does allow, it does give you that, that sense of freedom that DJ Hero gave you. This gives it to you even more. You can kind of blend things together and do all sorts of wacky stuff anyway. But Beat Saber, certainly, although you're not really, um, you know... Um, playing those songs on a set of decks the the fact you're moving your body in time with the beat and almost performing those those kind of uh, uh dance moves uh does actually give me the same sort of sensation so i think that's really if you get if you look into where this genre is has, has gone because essentially it's this the, the rhythm action game has evolved into something far more interesting in some ways uh, then VR is definitely a place you can kind of find some really interesting things going on. Excellent. Thank you for that. So it remains for me, Carl, to thank both Rich and Gary for joining me on this episode, as well as all of our correspondents, plus, of course, you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and best of all, go to our Patreon and potentially donate a dollar a month for, an, for our episodes. Uh, and get every Kane Rinse podcast one week early, or more often than not, in an extended edition, as well as an exclusive monthly podcast. Next time, in issue 388, we travel back to 1979, the smell of the arcades, the sound of excitement as we put more coins into Galaxian. <laughs>